Welcome to the Tech Review Podcast, the best place to stay up to date with what is important to know right now. We are right now here in London at Twickenham. We are right now here in London at Twickenham Stadium at the Quantum Tech Conference. This is not our usual venue. And I'm struggling a little bit with my gimbal. And while I am talking into the camera, Alex has to carry all of our equipment with the, with the suitcase. So I just keep talking. <laughs> so important I have two microphones. This is the press booth here at the Quantum Tech Conference and we as the official of one of the, the official media partners have access to this amazing press booth. So this is now our office for today. Let's see who uh, we are going to meet here. Uh, I'm really excited. I think quantum technology is a really really amazing technology and we or at least I really don't know so much about this. I'm not sure what this means. Alex is waving to me. At least for me, quantum technology is such a weird thing because uh, obviously it works and uh, the industries are preparing for utilizing quantum technology in all of the fields, even though as far as I know, uh, there are no actual current applications of quantum computation that, uh, that I know of. And if uh, always at any time when someone tries to explain to me how quantum entanglement works, uh, it sounds like magic. <laughs> and I do not believe that this is actually a thing. But uh, if it weren't a thing, people wouldn't spend so much effort and attention and money on this field. Is, is the Rauschen very, very bad if I speak like this? My co-person has to hear me as well. The first quantum expert I talked to was Dr. Bushan Bonday, head of innovation at Evotech Pharma. I'm super interested if you are already working with quantum technology, because as far as I know, we are still far away from actually applying it in, in real life, right? So th this is a very good point, and I really appreciate you raised it, because there are two aspects of quantum compute. One is the hardware development, one is the actual physical quantum compute development. And we are not interested in that. What we are doing in, in the application of those Uh, devices that we develop, whether it is software-based, it is hardware-based, it is photonics-based, whether it is, uh, you know, particle-based, you know, uh, uh, where is electrons and, and atoms and heavy atoms, etc. It doesn't matter. Irrespective of that, what we should be able to do is, irrespective of the technology, apply those technology to the real-life problems. And the real-life problems is enough. Uh, plenty of real-life problems that we cannot solve. For example, to just to give you one example to, to the layman, by the time we speak in this one sentence, there are around 100,000 proteins is synthesized in our body. Now, protein synthesis is one of the most difficult problem in biology. We cannot solve it using conventional computer accurately. I mean, the best algorithm today, AlphaFold or, uh, or some kind of ESM fold from Facebook and all, they could predict only for 90%, you know, or maybe 80%, maybe 60%, maybe 40%. But no computer can predict accurately 100%. So the question remains, by the time we spoke, if 100,000 proteins are made in our body, and they didn't made in a wrong fashion, they correctly folded, what kind of computer our body is using by the time we are speaking? And that's the exact answer we are trying to answer using the quantum compute. It has to be quantum. It has to be some kind of a quantum phenomena that our body is using. The only thing is we don't know it. And we are trying to find out that answer. And that's the reason we are here as a pharma company. We are trying to understand what is it in the body that really could mimic, the nature could mimic 
the behavior that we cannot do in binary compute. I also talked to Dr. Carsten Blank, Managing Director and Co-Founder at Data Cybernetics SSC. <laughs> one question that I ask every single one here that I yeah. meet, when do you expect or when do you estimate will we have real-life applications of quantum computers? Because oh. right now I think everything is research, right? Right, absolutely correct. Um, I think a couple of years ago um, I was on a sort of a panel and they were asking me, it was 21 I think, um, and they were asking me actually do you think you're gonna make money with quantum computing in the next three to five years? Um, and I was like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, but um, things have considerably changed. In, in Germany, there is a lot of funding from the government, directly or indirectly, and we also uh, get a lot of funding from that channel, both of these channels, right? And and potentially we may have uh, customers now with Q Alchemy as well. So this is way faster than I expected. Um, two or three years into it. Let's see, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you explain to me how quantum entanglement works? <laughs> no worries if you can't, I, but this is like magic for me. Yes, uh, well, qu quantum entanglement is the thing that um, excites me a lot uh, because it, the, at the core of our QAlchemy product is actually exploiting the entanglement structure of classical data. Yeah, um, but what is it? Well, um, I. Actually, I never really got into the excitement of entanglement so much, um, the, for the reason because quantum computing does not is not so excited about entanglement, right? What you have is a quantum state and it has uh, amplitudes, and you know that's that's your vector, right? <laughs> so entanglement is something if you have a particle there and then a particle there, and, and it's it's you know and it's not in the same location. You want to do something with yeah, it, yeah. then people get all excited, and I understand that. Yeah. Right? So um, I cannot explain entanglement. Because in my worldview, it's just a vector. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I of know course. that sounds really <laughs> weird, but this is how it is. I had the chance to talk to Böhringer Ingelheim CTO Clemens Uchik Uchik about the big opportunities of quantum in the pharma industry. And every time I talk to someone about quantum technology, pharma is always the first like branch where people are talking. Well, this will be applied. Uh, wh why is it? Why is it pharma? Why is pharma so closely connected to quantum technology? So, so I guess it's uh, not just pharma, but also material science, right? Because our world is molecules. Our world is actually a drug binding to a target, right, to an enzyme, to a protein, and, and here we see quantum mechanical effects. And if I believe in what Richard Feynman said, and he got his Nobel Prize for it, yeah. Um, then really to model one quantum mechanical system with another is the most promising avenue and route. And that's the reason why I think everybody's looking at us. On the other side, it's not as easy as everybody yeah. thinks. <laughs> it takes plenty of research to get there. On the obviously hardware side, which is the obvious one, but even more so on the algorithmic side. And that's what we focus on. And how long is Boringer Ingelheim involved with quantum technology? So, I mean, the ideas of quantum mechanics and, and, quantum, and quantum chemistry outside of quantum, we use since quite a long time, right? Our computational chemistry folks use many methods, use AI, use machine learning. But really, quantum computing, I would say roughly three years. Three years ago, we, we funded the quantum lab. We, we tried to get the people, the researchers that would actually go onto that mission to make quantum useful for us. And now we are three years in the game. We published quite a bit on foundational work and also on application work. And, and that journey will continue to make eventually, hopefully, quantum fly for pharma. Later, I talked to Sergio Gago. MD of AI and quantum computing at Moody's Analytics. I personally, I am a, a regular software engineer with classical computers. Um, how would you describe like the, uh, the the future transition from classical computer to quantum computer uh, use cases? Is there like a 
like a ongoing transition or will there be a cut where we will stop using regular computers for use cases and simply switch to quantum computers? So I think there's two ways of answering that question. As a software engineer, do you worry about the transistors in the chip? <laughs> Probably not, right? Not, not, not every day, no. <laughs> Most likely you have a high-level programming language, whether it's Java or yeah. Ruby or Python, right? And that, is, that hides completely all that background layer. Today in quantum, we have to worry about those transistors. Right? Yeah. We have to worry about the qubits, how each hardware works, and, and all that. So we're at, at a very low level uh, still. The second thing is that quantum is not for everything. Quantum is not a universal solution mm. that will replace computers. Um, there are very specific cases, very specific problems, mathematical or computational problems, that quantum is great at. So in the same way that you have today in your computer a CPU and a GPU next to it that does yeah. very specific calculations or a mathematical coprocessor, most likely you will end up having a QPU that takes care of those specific calculations. Maybe an optimization problem, maybe a simulation, maybe driving random numbers. Um, so for the average developer in maybe a decade or so, it will be kind of transparent uh, and it will be closer to the work that we do in high-performance computing, HPC, FPGAs, and the likes, uh, but still very, very relevant for the work that we do in finance, the work that companies in logistics do, in material science, yeah. and so on. From one engineer to another, I spoke to Kostas Georgopoulos, quantum application engineer at National Quantum Computer Center. What do you expect uh, quantum technologies to have an impact on the work market? Well. As far as I can tell, we're already seeing impacts. So there is a skill, so or we like to say there is a skill shortage in the UK as well as abroad on people that have the skills to do R&D, so research and development in quantum yeah. computing. So we're already seeing impacts of that. So there is already some sense of wanting to develop the workforce, develop the skills, and the NQCC, that's where I work, has programs for developing skills uh, because. Quantum computing is such so fundamentally different to classical computing. Yeah. Like you need to think in a different way, you need to develop workflows in a different way, develop solutions in a different way. So you need people to think in a different way. So that is an interesting aspect. With a strong French presence at the conference, I had the chance to ask why that is when I talked to Thomas Fauvel, deep tech industry expert at Choose Paris Region. And would you say Paris Region is the Silicon Valley of uh, quantum technologies? Oh, good question. <laughs> um, I don't like to compare with Silicon Valley. Uh, it's, it's a model, but it's in, in, an inspiration too. Mm. Uh, what we have is Paris-Saclay Plateau. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Paris-Saclay area uh, concentrates 15% uh, uh, of the whole French research capacity in nearly every field. Yeah. And it's at, uh, for quantum technology, it's nearly 40% of the whole French capacity. You have the, the best of uh, photonic research with uh, uh, the atomic research was based there since the 50s or 60s. So it's really something that's natural there. You have uh, the uh, Nobel Prizes, two Nobel Prizes in quantum physics coming out of Paris-Saclay. And that's where Candela, once again, uh, uh, Pascal are based. Uh, that's because they find their talent mainly. Uh, they, they come from the universities, like University Paris-Saclay. Uh, they are spin-offs, but they also get the best of the talent there. Talking about successful French quantum companies, Pascal is one of them, and I spoke with Christophe Lagrand, who is Senior Vice President of Global Business Development. 
this is actually one of the terms that I heard a lot of on this conference, like quantum machine learning. Is this uh, a new field of uh, research or uh, was I just not aware of that, that this is the thing? It's not really a new thing because we use exactly the same method as uh, mm. AI uh, uh, as, as an example. Uh, but we, we train and we use uh, some piece of code and we embedded this piece of code into a classical uh, approach of machine learning. Yeah. That's why we uh, we are uh, saying that this is a quantum machine learning, but mainly used uh, on an hybrid approach. And um, how old is your company? Is this like a new thing? Are you a startup <laughs> or are you we, uh, we long established? <laughs> we can say that uh, Pascal uh, was born in 2019. Mm -hmm. Today uh, we are uh, almost uh, 200 people uh, at, at Pascal. Uh, with um, at least 30 uh, customers already. So yeah. I don't know if we, we can say that we are a startup or a scale-up. But uh, <laughs> we raised uh, 100 million uh, one year ago now um, on Serie B. So yeah. I found my way back to Pharma when I talked to Dr. Gopal Karamoro, director at Novo Nordisk. Do I assume correctly that at a certain point of time in the future, uh, quantum computers will be the status quo and companies who are not using quantum computers will fall behind and will not be competitive again uh, anymore definitely because you know to be quantum to get a quantum advantage yeah. you need to be quantum ready yeah. right and to be quantum ready you need to be quantum aware yeah so the awareness phase has already started so if you're not in this quantum journey uh, you'll be you'll fall behind with the quantum readiness yeah so i think this is a time that uh, every organization regardless of which application domain you are in you have to start exploring the use cases Like identify use cases in your organization, uh, set up a uh, quantum computing workforce, and really uh, execute a fast POC yeah, in your yeah. organization. And just to tell you about, there are three different application domain in pharma that we are exploring now. That is a optimization, simulation, and quantum machine learning. Yeah. Uh, so we have started some activities that I can share with you. That is, uh, we have started a joint postdoc with uh, mm, uh, the uh, University of Copenhagen, mm -hmm. uh, Quantum for Life Science Center, uh, where we'll be exploring about the generative aspects of quantum machine learning. You know? As you know, everybody's talking about large language model, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, uh, we, are, we are still you know, scratching the surface of narrow intelligence. We haven't really explored to the artificial general intelligence or artificial super intelligence, right? Yeah. And if you really see the AI community, especially the, the workhorse of uh, whole um, uh, the dark horses of the AI community like Geoffrey Hinton for example mm. or uh, Yeshua Bengio or Yan Likun when you talk they're talking about consciousness prior right they're talking about uh, glooming together with the neural fields and all uh, physics based animation or physics uh, physics based uh, machine learning model right yeah yeah so they are not satisfied actually with the existent uh, state of the AI right yeah because yeah. a lot of challenges like hallucination we have we have biases We have a lot of uh, other uh, discrepancies in the AI model. So I think what quantum can provide is uh, the new avenue to look at the machine learning problems that are currently resistant to the classical computation framework. Mm -hmm. Regardless how much GPU or TPUs you have, it's just that the problems, for example, Ising Hamiltonian problems or problems which are probabilistic graph on a data structure, they are not going to be solved by uh, neural networks. Right? Yeah, yeah. And just to tell you about some challenges that we have still today, even though we have a large language model and everything, they still have the legacy of neural network, right? So any limitation that comes with the neural networks or a probabilistic graphical neural networks, 
they inherit all these limitations. For example, uh, generalization, right? We don't know how expressive is the algorithm, how, uh, how fast the, the algorithm can generalize it to the unseen data, right? And the most important in a pharma context is about the sample complexity, mm -hmm. meaning that can your algorithm absorb less sample size and balanced data set. And we yeah. have a lot of unbalanced data set, right? Like a lot of, yeah, lot yeah. of positive, but less, less negative uh, data set, data sum. So can, uh, can quantum machine learning resolve these issues? And there have been a lot of compelling uh, evidences which people have published, which I, which I can name research organization like Los Almos uh, Laboratory, uh, Oak Ridge Laboratory. A lot of uh, universities have developed a lot of or published papers in machine learning or quantum machine learning, which are actually really very promising to resolve this uh, computational complexity, sample complexity, uh, and, the, and the whole uh, problem complexity. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Why is quantum tech relevant for sensors? Let's ask Dr. Jay Lowell, Principal Senior Technical Fellow at Boeing. And would you say that uh, these quantum technologies that we are seeing emerging right now will be a standard for, uh, let's say, sensor technologies in the future, or will this always be like a very special uh, thing at, at the site for very special problems? Um, I, that's a good question. So those quantum sensors that are coming out right now, there, there really are kind of three classic quantum sensors. There are uh, clocks. The best, the best clocks in the world have, are, are quantum sensors. They have always been quantum sensors. Um, what we're trying to do is build a set of clocks that are mobile, and almost as good as those quantum sensors that are, uh, those excellent clocks that are at places like National Physical Laboratory or at Max Planck Institute in Germany or at uh, the National Institutes of Standards and Technology in the US. So clocks are one class of these sensors. Then there are, um, what we're using is a, another class of sensors that sense forces. Mm -hmm. um, those sensors are like sensors that you have in your phone that help you figure help your phone figure out which way it's pointing there are quantum versions of those sensors they're much more precise and more accurate than those sensors in the phone but they're also much larger so they're going to always have certain applications that they work extremely well for those applications that require that extra degree of precision um, like navigating underwater where you have no features that yeah. you can navigate off of you need to be able to understand the forces that are acting on your vehicle exceedingly well. Those places will always be drawn to technologies that have the highest degree of accuracy, and quantum sensors seem to be a great fit there. They will fit other places as well, but probably um, not universally. And so you'll see places where they're not used at all, and you'll see places where they're used exclusively. Yeah. And then the last class of quantum sensors are what are called field sensors. So they sense things like uh, single photons, or they sense um, electric fields or magnetic fields. And those sensors, again, are gonna, you're going to see a range of applications and a range of utilization that really depends on how much that application draws on the strength of those quantum sensors, which, again, tends to be uh, the highest degree of accuracy and precision that you can have. I was drawn to the booth of Keysight Technologies because they had the shiniest toys on display. Here I met Mauricio Fernandez, account manager and UK quantum lead at Keysight Technologies.
As far as I understand, uh, quantum technologies are not really applied to real life uh, problems yet, right? Uh, so, so how do you make your money? Is this uh, all like research and investment, or is this uh, actually something uh, where you already apply stuff uh, for your cus customers? Kisa is, is is a large company, right? Yeah. And we have a broad range of solutions. Uh, the the area where we play into is a lot of uh, companies in the quantum world. They're doing the research, they're developing all these different devices that you know, they may be not sure where they're going to fit exactly in terms of real-time applications. Uh, what we develop is, for example, hardware uh, combined with software to allow a lot of these new companies or, or big drivers of the industry to test a lot of these concepts and, and develop them, right? So, so basically support uh, that R&D front of quantum. Uh, yes, through, through projects that, sorry, through products that exist today. Uh, yes. Yeah, in brief. <laughs> and, and we are going to have like a close-up of this machine because it, it really bugs me what, what it is that we are seeing here. <laughs> yeah, so, so this is our UXR oscilloscope. Uh, and I guess for those of you who don't know, in very, very simple terms, an oscilloscope captures uh, signals in the time domain. But this, as, as time has moved forward, the, the, the oscilloscopes that we now have uh, are much more complex. They test a lot of RF concepts and communications. And uh, in the quantum world, one aspect of it at least is testing uh, very fast pulses. And, and machines like real-time bandwidth oscilloscopes enable a lot of customers to test uh, those very fast pulses that, that are, are quite common. As a space enthusiast, I also wanted to meet with Dr. Zeus Kokonis, who is future programs officer at the European Space Agency. I missed him at the conference, but met him later for a quick chat online. <laughs> I think um, the most important question for you uh, is, what is the European Space Agency doing with quantum computation? Or what do you expect is the most relevant use case to use at ESA? So the European Space Agency is, is an organization that works very closely with industry in order to uh, promote the European space capabilities and enable Europe to have a good position in, uh, in the space industry, so to be competitive and also offer the services to, to European citizens in this context to ensure that Europe has a sovereign position in this area. And in this context, there are multiple activities where we see that quantum computing quantum technologies in general and also quantum computing in more, more precisely can have an impact. So we uh, are proceeding with, uh, with an initiative along all of ESA's directorates because there are, it, it is, I would say, something that touches various points from planning the missions which are becoming more complex to uh, providing capabilities for robotics and natural, uh, natural language processing uh, enhancements to manage missions where humans will play a lesser role because they are too far, because we need more interaction, to uh, proceeding for predictive maintenance and so on. These are all areas where quantum computing can play a role. And On the other side, we have a very strong interest for quantum computing, which is coming more from the Earth observation aspect, where we it is these are systems that are already uh, deployed and operating. But quantum computing can allow much uh, or has the potential to allow uh, better processing of the data that we get 
on one side, and on the other side, of course, um, and this this is one of the especially strong aspects of uh, quantum computing to provide support for large-scale simulations. And large-scale simulations is the area where we're using the uh, space data to provide, so to go from, from simple aspects to, to have weather predictions, climate predictions, but also to proceed into more large-scale simulations to simulate what uh, various natural phenomena could bring. So that, uh, for example, you, you can simulate what would happen in, in terms of a, of, a, of a flooding, heavy rain and so on, to be able to do this uh, simulation at a much better scale than we currently do. So it is a multitude of areas and I don't think that I, I am the person or uh, there would be one person who can go into detail in every one of these, but it is a very strong, uh, very wide area of, of topics that uh, might be of interest. Quantum Tech was pretty amazing and I hope to come back next year. A big thanks to Alpha Events for allowing us into their press booth and for organizing this great conference. If you learned something today, please consider subscribing because here on the Tech Review Podcast, we talk about the latest innovation and tech every single week. So, see you then and as always, stay awesome.